Yeah. All right, all right dude. Well, I got a couple of uh, notes here. So, all right. You ready to get going? Mm-hmm. All right. So, hello, everybody. Back in the studio with Justin Brand. Uh, he came on. What's it been? A few weeks ago? It's uh, a month? It's been something. about a month, yeah. 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 Um, and, man, glad you wanted to come back on. That's always... Uh, I appreciate you having me. Yeah. it's. I consider this like a collaboration. You know, I love... Uh, I tell some of my friends, I'm like, anytime you have something you want to podcast about, because, you know, I like doing this free form conversation, but I like doing these plan- sort of planned podcasts where we have a specific theme. Theme and a topic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, we did one um, the other day over uh, Oliver Stone's JFK mm-hmm. and the Irishman, Scorsese's The Irishman. Gotcha. Right. So this it was, it's cool to kind of, and we really dug into those films and the the Garrison book. Right. Uh, and it was it was a lot of fun. I haven't read that. I paint. Uh, I heard you paint houses yet, though. But I'm going to. That's the the book of the Irishman, like Garrison's book on the Twelve Assassins. It's the book that inspired JFK. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So we're doing uh, sort of a history of the Civil Air Patrol, right? Which I, I I'm gonna be perfectly honest i didn't even really know it was a thing until i was like why are you finding that airplane justin like what's going on with that right and you're like oh yeah. i'm in this and i still like i had to go kind of like learn about it you know i keep seeing pictures of you in airplanes what's happening there <laughs> it was yeah. man <laughs> but um i mean i think this is a great topic that people should know more about i had some basic questions i i it, this has inspired me to do some research even before we talked about doing this episode because i was like what a this is a historian. I'm like, well, that's an interesting concept. Sure, right, so, absolutely. So and it's it's kind of a you know a bit of a well kept secret. I mean, it's not you know I got into the Civil Air Patrol through a friend that became the Arkansas Wing Commander, and until I saw the uh, you know the headline where he had been appointed to that position, I wasn't aware of, that it was out there. You wow. know, how old were you when this happened? Oh, this was. Uh, I've been in. It'll be six years in January. So, uh, yeah, about six years ago. So, do the math there, early. That was 34. Okay, okay. So, a little bit late to the game. And a lot of people start as cadets. I I had some questions about that. Did you... You were not a cadet. No, I was not. Yeah, so so that's just something you do when when you're school age, teenage. When does the cadet program start? Cadet program runs from 12 to 21. Okay, okay. Um, How do you get involved with that? Uh, basically, you just find a local unit or a squadron and uh, and go check it out. And they usually have you attend a couple of meetings to see if it's uh, a good fit. And then you put in the paperwork and join as a cadet. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's um, – do they do like a, you know, uh, marketing, recruiting? Is there like a model there that you, that you feel like they follow? There, there is. There's a, a recruiting and retention program uh, that is, you know, stronger in – you know, other places, some places than others, depending on the emphasis that it's given and uh, how it's staffed and all that sort of thing. But uh, do, you, do you feel like, just generally speaking, there's certain either regions of the state or um, regions of the country that it's more prevalent in? That's probably the case. I mean, uh, you know, obviously in your bigger metropolitan areas, you tend to have larger units, uh, you know, especially on the cadet side where you have more a larger pool mm-hmm. if you will of uh, potential members um and you get out into more rural areas where people are more scattered you know and uh it would tend to get a little bit thinner mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I can see that. I can see that. Where Where is it? Uh, so, where do you, uh, do you do you guys do like a drill or anything that you go to periodically? Most units meet uh, weekly. Um, the basic unit is the uh, the squadron. So, Civil Air Patrol is divided up into uh, fifty two wings. So, each state has its own wing, and then uh, in addition to Washington D.C. and Puerto Rico. So, there's your fifty two wings. Those wings are under eight regions, regional commands, and okay. then uh, that falls under national command. And the basic unit within the wing um, is the squadron. Um, so, you know, for example, in Arkansas, there are ten squadrons scattered out throughout the state. Okay. Um, You've got uh, you've got let's see Little Rock, Fort Smith, Russellville, Rogers, Mountain Home, Jonesboro, West Memphis, Pine Bluff, Hot Springs, and Texarkana. So this is why you blow my mind, man. I can't believe you just <laughs> named all ten of those. Like I, I've been joking around with everybody the last couple of weeks. I'm like, we're talking about Rome. The guy across the hall knows more about Rome than me. But here we are, <laughs> right? <laughs> but what? But you did, man. That's fantastic memory. I can't. I believe you just rattled off all ten of those, but amazing. So there's one here in Russellville. There is. There's a small, uh, small unit out the airport. Yeah. Do you the guys have, do you ever network with one another? Where do you report? Uh, I started in the Little Rock Squadron okay. uh, six years ago, um, and uh, moved up uh, about a year ago to uh, the wing level. So I'm now at Arkansas Wing Headquarters, which is shares the same premises as the uh, the Little Rock Squadron down at uh, at the airport in Little Rock. Okay. Okay. So, so yeah, um, and what's your weekly meetings is it more like uh the squadron i mean typically squadrons meet one night a week uh the little rock squadron i was in uh meets every tuesday night from six thirty to 9 wow uh so usually you have a senior break outside and they're doing their own thing the cadets kind of have their own self-contained program going you know on the other side so seniors may be doing something like um uh, air crew training ground team training um you know that sort of thing professional development depending on what's on the uh, the agenda for that night and uh, the cadets maybe do an aerospace education or you know their own ground team emergency services training or uh, just depends on what's on the, the agenda for that night let's say you're a cadet or like yourself you get involved in your 30s um is there like a i'm sure there's like a pathway to a pilot's license that's a part of being involved well, it's not a requirement. I mean, anyone can serve in, in Civil Air Patrol um, and not be a pilot. I'm not a pilot. You know, I fly as air crew. Uh, it's a lot of them are pilots. And, you know, on the emergency services aspect, and we should probably give a little bit of background and a bit on uh, how emergency services and all that sort of thing works. Um, you have mission pilots who, you know, fly the airplanes and uh, run missions and do that sort of thing. Um, but it's not a required component. But a lot of uh, cadets do go on and get their pilot's license and are very aviation-minded at the outset when they go into it. Um, you know, some states do gliders as well. And uh, even out in the, in the West, there's been some ballooning that's going on. So, really? yeah. There's some hang gliding. That, hang gliding, that's what you're talking about? Yeah, you know, I'm talking about gliders. Like, uh, not hang gliding, a glider that's an unpowered glider uh, that's towed up to altitude oh, okay, and then released okay. from an airplane. Okay, yeah. interesting. I've seen that. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. I was saying uh, there's <clears throat> people do gliding off of, uh, but uh, more hang gliding off of the uh, ridge there at Atkins, yeah. Crow Mountain. Yeah, I have a good friend from Prairieville who hang glides quite a bit. Yeah. Um, One of the greatest jujitsu stars of all time died in a hang gliding accident. Holes Gracie. It would seem to be a 
risky activity. I wouldn't do it. Especially if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you ever repelled or anything? I have like not. That? My dad I'm, used oof. to do tons of it back in the day. He used to go up on the buffalo <laughs> and repel and uh, you know, all that sort of thing. I've never done it. I've and heights are are weird for me. Less so flying in a plane. I think I mentioned last time I've flown in one smaller plane. Everything else has been a commercial, right? You know, um, but uh, heights are a little tricky for me. I don't. I, I like to avoid them. Yeah, having fallen off one house Ooh. <laughs> at one time, it's uh, yeah. You you should be careful up there. I guess it's the best advice I can get. You know, having made that fall one time i wouldn't recommend it yeah i like how when you're a little kid you can like jump off the roof of a house and stuff though well like, when you're invincible yeah. yeah yeah it's 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 crazy yeah i mean uh you know i remember being invincible up to a certain point and then a few years ago i did something and got hurt and i realized oh superman's not here anymore <laughs> you know, so i'll be 40 in a couple of weeks and yeah i remember i feel uh, it <laughs> dr charlie bush uh which you've had in class as well um he he said something one time it was like when you're 22 you're gonna stop recovering from injuries and like it just i remember him saying that like that was very specific and then when i was 22 i broke my collarbone right which is like and that hurts torn ligaments you know so it's like they say dislocated so i'm like oh great just reset it they're like it doesn't work that way like maybe we could but it's pointless to do but we could do the surgery and reattach it but it's pointless to do and i was just like okay whatever right um so is air crew what what is what are some of your responsibilities up there? Well, I mean, most civil air patrol flight operations fall under the the realm of emergency services. So, civil air patrol now is broken up into uh, three major missions or roles. You have emergency services, aerospace education, and then cadet programs. Um, on the emergency services side, a large part of that is uh, searching for uh, downed aircraft, missing persons, that sort of thing. Um, you know, every airplane is fitted with uh, an ELT, an emergency locator transmitter, that when, you know, the hope is when that airplane goes down or something happens, that ELT goes off and transmits a signal hmm. um, that can then be homed in on and uh, and searched for. Um, we do a lot of uh, disaster relief operations as airborne photographers. Like, uh, so, cool. you know, if you've got flooding or you've had a tornado and you need a damage assessment, for you know, we do a lot of work for FEMA. Uh, Did you guys do anything with the with the hundred year flood that recently happened? Oh yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. What what, what uh, if you don't mind me? What are some things you saw when you were up there? Well, I mean, you you know, you typically fly those missions with an air crew of three. You've got a mission pilot and you've got a, an observer in the right front seat, and in the back you have an airborne photographer with a camera and uh, and all that sort of thing. And you are assigned a grid, uh, okay. you know, on any given day where uh, you're assigned to take photos and you've got a search or a, a flight pattern in that grid and then you go take your photos and you get back and upload those to uh, your client mm -hmm. be it uh, FEMA or you know maybe Corps of Engineers maybe Game and Fish yeah. whoever um, and uh, it's it gives you a different perspective from above um, how, uh, how high are you guys flying up when you're looking at uh, like flood damage uh, for example most maybe? most of the uh, the mission pilots I've flown with like taking pictures from about 1500 feet okay um, they find that's a kind of an optimal you know uh, altitude to be doing that sort of work um, I wasn't personally involved in the in the big the big flood you're talking about last year I was down for brain surgery at the oh, time. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I flew uh, 
oh, it's been three years ago now, and there was a bunch of flooding up in northeast Arkansas mm -hmm. around Newport and that sort of thing. And I uh, flew a couple of sorties there. Went out of Little Rock up to uh, refuel at Walnut Ridge and then flew that whole area taking pictures for uh, for FEMA. So. You know, I saw some some drone footage of there's a levee breach over in Yale County, but um, and then the bridge, or not the bridge, rather the dam at uh, Russellville Darnell, hmm. and then I know over close to Morrillton, apparently it got pretty wild too. Um, but there was just I, I, it was interesting. Now, you saw the the drone footage, but like the 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 um, altitude you're talking about, a little higher up, you can see. Uh, you know, I haven't seen any shots of this stuff around here from that high up. And there was almost a levee breach at Conway at uh, in Lolly Bottoms out there that. Uh, they were just, you know, everyone was kind of shocked it didn't breach because it was a, it was expected to happen at any time, which would have flooded that whole, you know, valley. And miraculously, it, it didn't occur. So Thone was walking, uh, the county judge in Yale County walked, was quoted in an article uh, in, like, River Valley Now or something. But he was walking on the levee before it bre breached, and he said it felt like a sponge. I would imagine that would be extremely uncomfortable yeah like <laughs> uncomfortable it was like feeling. it was like almost like just floating yeah like a floating mass yeah. in a like way. it's just about to wash away and yeah, yeah. scary stuff man oh. um so uh let's let's go into I, I know you've got some notes here but some, some of the history is that can we kind of go to the beginning here with uh you think it's a good point to sure yeah civil air patrol basically uh arose um in 1941, uh, there was a, a group of uh, aviation-minded individuals led by a, a guy named Gil Rob Wilson who uh, saw the war coming. And was he a World War One era guy? Did I read that? I believe Wilson was, yeah. They saw the, you know, World War II coming. It was looming. It was imminent. And they believed civil aviation had a role to play without being, uh, you know, they, they had seen examples in other countries where war hit and civil aviation kind of ground to a halt. They didn't want to see that happen, so they sort of came up with a concept that it could be used as an auxiliary service um, and play a part in the war effort uh, without just being grounded or you know amalgamated uh, and that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, Wilson uh, lobbied hard for its creation. At the time, Fiorello LaGuardia was uh, director of the Office of Civil Defense, and uh, they approached him with their plan. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Civil Air Patrol wound up being created on December 1st, 1941, you know, obviously, a week before Pearl Harbor happened. Wow! Wow! Um, wow! Yeah, how ironic. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, LaGuardia kind of got the uh, the ball rolling there. He was, of course, later mayor of New York, and LaGuardia Airport yeah. is named after him now. Uh, they were transferred from the uh, the Office of Civil Defense to the War Department in 1943, and uh, granted status as the uh, the Army Air Force Auxiliary. Um, Initially, they flew unarmed uh, anti-submarine patrols off the uh, the East Coast and the Atlantic seaboard, you know, down through uh, all the way into the Gulf of Mexico. They, the old phrase they had back then was from Mexico to Maine. You know, they had a base in Brownsville and then 21 bases stretching all the way around the Florida Peninsula and up to Maine on the East Coast. And they also flew border patrol missions uh, on the southern border and things like fire, fire, uh, forest fire patrols and that sort of thing. Um, initially, they were unarmed off the East Coast, and then there was one particular incident where, uh, you know, a crew uh, observed a U-boat um, that sort of panicked when it realized it was being observed by an aircraft and tried to dive and get stuck on a sandbar, and took a while to extricate itself, but got out of there before, you know, armed forces could arrive to attack it. Mm -hmm. 
And at that point, I believe it was Hap Arnold that kind of said, uh, you know, we're going to arm these airplanes. I saw some sort of a depiction, photo, uh, I don't know, really, what was like, a, it, it was an armed, I guess it was like when they first armed them, but it was like a sweating uh, airplane, light flying with the bomb. Right. But it was just a normal. Uh, that just, was that was a logo back then because uh, okay, that's you know, what it was. a lot of the, uh, the light aircraft they had, I mean, they weren't really configured to carry ordnance, you know, mm-hmm. and they sort of came up with these uh, bomb racks and sort of thing. And uh, at first, I believe they carried two 100 uh, pound high explosive bombs. Which, uh, you know, you'd pretty much have to have a direct hit on a U-boat. Uh, and later on, they were equipped with some better depth charges and that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, basically just jury-rigging uh, bomb loads onto, uh, you know, civilian airplanes and going out there and looking for U-boats and, you know, yeah. engaging that sort of thing. Um, there were uh, several planes lost and several crews lost. Um, How? Uh, well you know through incidents or accidents or that sort of thing in, in american airspace right. and off the east coast yeah well wow. during the during the war effort yeah when that during that program um wow see you don't uh, you know even even taking world war ii with dr duncan you don't really get weak i don't ever recall it was like hey we're in europe and then tomorrow we'll be in the pacific right. like it, it we didn't really go on to i mean other than there's German U-boats in the Atlantic and the Gulf. That's just kind of a passing thing. But like, so what you're saying is, Americans died over the in these areas they were patrolling in the American theater. Yeah, the American theater of operations. The Civil Air Patrol received credit, uh, campaign credit, and the uh, today our flag flies the uh, the American campaign streamer for service in the American campaign. So you had the American wow. campaign. You had the uh, there were American theater, and then you had the European, North African, Middle Eastern theater, and then you had the the Pacific. And each one of those has a different service ribbon and campaign streamer. So, you know, CAP operated within the American theater. And those, you know, I should clarify, those uh, fatalities and lost airplanes were not due to combat action. They were due to incidents and accidents and that sort of thing. What would you say would be an, an incident, or is did any any of them that you recall during this time? Well, I mean, if you had an incident of like uh, you know mechanical failure mm-hmm. or okay. weather, Bermuda Triangle, <laughs> can't vouch for that. Don't know. Oh man, that's like I'm gonna have to go see if there's any documentaries about Civil Air Patrol and over the Bermuda Triangle now. Right. <laughs> there's been so many. Uh, I've over the years I've seen a few different ones. It's like that's I've never really bought into it. But the most recent thing I saw that was that somebody was saying Atlantis is in the in Bermuda. Good luck with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for real. But it was, uh, you know, basically it's it was an amazing program at the time. Is they had uh, volunteers with their airplanes, volunteering their time and effort and uh, and that sort of thing to uh, just do their part. Um, you know, a lot of them acted as couriers, you know, ferrying airplanes from one place to another. Did I read somewhere that, um, and this may not have been in wartime. But uh, I was so fascinated, too, about, like, uh, looking into CAP uh, in the Cold War. Mm-hmm. But I, I read somewhere about them flying transplants as couriers. Yeah, yeah. we uh, CAP still does. Uh, wow. Flies, uh, you know, donor blood, uh, wow. tissue, sometimes that sort of thing. Um, yeah, we are still utilized occasionally for that. You, do you, um, let's say in that instance, is that within state? Do you ever go out of state? I have never flown one of those missions. My understanding is that would be done uh, 
you know, when something is time sensitive and obviously an airplane is faster than a car. What about a helicopter? Uh, CAP does not operate any helicopters. But is it, you know, like uh, how they med flight people, like uh, we've got a helicopter at St. Mary's that will med flight people right. to Little Rock periodically. Would would it be about the same amount of time for each aircraft, do you think, or do you know? Probably depend on the helicopter. Okay. Uh, you know, if you've got a, a jet-powered helicopter, that uh, is, some of those things are pretty fast. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know, donor missions like that do uh, do happen. Um, and it's, you know, it's uh, it basically augments um, those efforts that are flown by medical helicopters and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um like right now i mean there's a lot of cat missions going on where they're flying uh covid uh supplies test kits pbe that sort of thing mm-hmm. um they're ferrying a lot of that from uh, point a to point b and sort of contributing to that effort it's in this uh this is maybe it, it is kind of an apples to oranges comparison because i know that uh the key difference is that um one is actually associated with with the military but what would you say the difference is with uh, cap and like the air national guard okay so civil air patrol is part of what the air force refers to as the total force um the total force encompasses uh the active duty air force the air force reserve the air national guard and civil air patrol the distinction there is that reserve and guard members are military members um we are civilian auxiliaries okay um we you know we we are part of the total force, and we serve a domestic mission uh, for our, our country and our communities at home, but we are not uh, a military component. Mm-hmm. Um, we wear Air Force uniforms with different insignia and uh, and that sort of thing, as well as corporate uniforms. I mean, I'm wearing, this is a corporate working uniform, huh. um, and but we are not military members, you know, subject to the UCMJ and, and that sort of thing. Can you, can you tell me about the insignia a little bit? Well, that's the... Uh, that's the uh, the cap seal there. It looks kind of like Space Force. I this is <laughs> I like, I, which I, I no, I don't know. I was like, this kind of looks like the space, but I didn't look up the Space Force logo. It just reminded me. I was like, but I feel like they kind of ripped off all of the logos and the Star Trek logo logo to make Space Force. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Now this is a this is the uh, the cap uh, corporate working uniform. It's very very comfortable to fly in. Uh, especially during the summertime. Uh, usually in the winter, I'll put on a flight suit or something a little bit heavier, but mm-hmm. uh, this is a very utilitarian, functional uniform. Yeah, um, yeah. You, you, it kind of had tactical pants on, yeah. I noticed. That's your... your which yeah. uh, you, yeah. can, you can wear tactical pants or slacks. I like the tactical pants because I like pockets. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's a personal preference there. Um, you, are there any things you always carry with you when you go on board? Well, you need a headset. Okay. Obviously, uh, you know i <laughs> I carry a big Ziploc bag in my pants in case I have to deploy that for air sickness. I've never had to deploy my bag. Been close a few times. I've never been that ill up there. You know, it's from certain maneuvers or what? Well, I mean, especially if you're riding uh, in the back seat of a small airplane like that, it's a lot. It's a lot rougher, and you feel it more than being up front. Um, you know, if you're prone to air sickness. Um, you know, it, it, I've seen it happen, you know, yeah. but uh, I'm not especially susceptible. I mean, I'm used to being in boats and that sort of thing. I don't, it really doesn't get to me. Um, but, uh, yeah, so headset, bag, um, usually a bottle of water, depending on how long you're going to be up there. But you sort of have to measure that against, uh, you know, obviously there's no bathrooms up there. So <laughs> you, t- yeah, you got to kind of monitor your fluid intake based yeah. on when you're going to be on the ground next time. How, um, 
I know it's got to vary depending on what you're doing, but like, how long do you typically go up? I mean, two, three hours at a time. Is there like a how much fuel you have to work with type of equation or what? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you may be up for a couple hours. I, I that that mission I referred to, we flew in uh, 2017 for flooding in northeast Arkansas. Those two sorties amounted to five and a half hours um, all together. Um, you know, you can break that in half basically with a stop in the middle for fuel and bathroom break and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it just depends on the mission, really, and what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we were, we were talking about the history there. After the war ended, um, and, you know, CAP sort of, you know, its purpose was kind of at an end, what it was doing in World War II. That, uh, that stopped. And, uh, you know, they thought, well, we'd like to keep this going. And budget cuts came down the pipe and, uh, and that sort of thing. And thought, how can we keep the program alive and uh, keep it going as the auxiliary, but no longer doing that sort of mission? Yeah. So it was uh, incorporated as a, a nonprofit. Okay. Um, which allowed it to, uh, you know, function and stay alive and that sort of thing and adopt new roles and missions. Um, and then it was also decreed that it would be solely of benevolent character. So no longer armed, you know, basically no more combat operations, that sort of thing. Um, and that's really how the, uh, the modern, uh, you know, threefold mission of civil air patrol was born. Um, and you know, been doing it ever since. What, uh, I was reading just a little bit, uh, and just wanted to ask you to, to follow up. Like what about throughout the cold war? Like, is that just kind of what you said? Is this the, t- what the tone that it's been? Had? Those, those domestic operations. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, uh, the emergency services mission, the ELT mission, uh, was once much more prevalent than it is now, simply because ELT technology has evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the heyday of, of search and rescue, I mean, uh, you know, it has declined over time, frankly, just because technology has gotten better at locating those things and those massive SAR search and rescue efforts um, aren't required as often as they once were. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it, it basically during the Cold War, the operations are kind of what we do now. Yeah. You know, that threefold mission. Anything really that you could point, uh, point to that you think changed in the post 9-11 world? You know, Cap actually had one of the first uh, aircraft uh, taking pictures of the uh, the towers. Oh, uh, it was one of the first ones in that airspace. Um, you know, one component of CAP operations is homeland security. Like, uh, you know, they they'll often utilize Cap airplanes as uh, you know a phony aggressor and have it penetrate controlled airspace, and then Air Force fighters have to intercept. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they things like the Super Bowl and operations like that. They'll fly a cap airplane and sort of test out the defenses, if you will, and the response. Um, we do quite a bit of that. Yeah. Um, there's an operation out in uh, El Paso every year called Falcon Virgo, where Cap goes out and acts as uh, you know, sort of target aircraft, essentially. Um, okay. And you know that. That, back in World War II, they had a, uh, a component where uh, they were towing targets, you know, for uh, for fighters. Um, and this is sort of an evolution or an outgrowth or, of that, you know. We now act as uh, an aggressor, you know, who's someone who is uh, trespassing into controlled airspace and basically a target for interception. Mm-hmm. So. This, this may be off topic, but let's say um – 
Let's say there were people that were uh, in similar aircraft, smaller planes that were breaking the law. Right. <laughs> running drugs, whatever. I mean, has, uh, you know, you hear about that. Like, hey, well, this this low-flying plane, stayed off radar, Barry Seals, whatever, you know. Mina? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I was just I was just in Mina yesterday, and I was thinking about that. But things like that. Is, has Cap ever been involved with scouting for those types of things, like keeping an eye out for... Cap does have a counter-drug component. Okay, um, that's that's super interesting. Basically, and, you know, and then we... There are other state agencies like Game and Fish where we fly officials, you know, for anti-poaching patrols, oh, that sort yeah. of thing, uh, where they... You know, a lot of that stuff is is not really discussed, but uh, you know, we do we do fly state officials in various capacities at times. So, um, like I've heard, I've I've heard of this happening in a plane and a, a chopper. But um, you know, apparently, cannabis when growing hmm. emits a, a big heat signature, right? Um, that that. They do flyovers in places like Newton County or wherever that people are growing it outside in like national forests and stuff. Is that something that Cap would be involved with? Is scouting that for that? Uh, I know law enforcement. Uh, you know, I've heard they use uh, vision devices and that sort of thing. Cap has any of those? Yeah. Um, but we, you know, we support counter drug efforts that law enforcement runs. That's interesting. I Mostly mean, as we would act as a, a transport or ferry, um, sort of the, uh, you know, the legs of that operation, the wings of that operation, if you will. And that's a great segue to say something about David Ferry. <laughs> no, we were talking about that, but I, I wanted to, like, this This got me thinking about this. What Do you think that there's uh, any concern, uh, like I had Jeff Woods for the class espionage with... Mm-hmm. Um, rogue individuals uh, infiltrating something like CAP, like getting involved and then they get intel via being involved. Like, do you think there's any threat to that? I would say our screen process is, is good enough. I mean, everyone who applies goes through the FBI background check and uh, that sort of thing. I I don't see that being you know, that much of a threat. I think it'd be much more plausible that uh, someone would just go out and rent a plane. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, there, you know, there's not enough classified stuff like that that goes on with Anymore. Cap to be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking more so like throughout the Cold War era. No, it's a uh, you know, it is civil, like the yeah. title says. I mean, it's it's not a, a military branch that would have access to any of that sort of yeah. Um. Anything worth commenting on with like uh, Kennedy and Cuba, and was was Cap ever utilized for any of the stuff no. surrounding, or, or with like uh, let's say not just that, but like with illegal immigration and people coming over? Yeah, I I knew like we talked about in World War Two, they were flying border patrol missions along the southern border. Um, I'm not sure if Cap flies any. I mean, obviously there's wings along that southern border now. Uh, I'm not sure how much they augment Border Patrol these days. I just, I don't have that knowledge. Yeah. I'm not being evasive. I just honestly yeah, don't know I, how much. I, well, and too, I just, I'm interested in all this. I was just, um, I've been thinking about Cuba a lot because I've, I've read a couple of Kennedy books. I sure. read one by Noam Chomsky. I just finished Rethinking Camelot. Have you ever? I've uh, not. It's pretty good. It's, it's only like five chapters, but they're all pretty long. But uh, he basically, his whole thesis is that, um, 
he he blows out all of the Oliver Stone thesis out of the water. He's like, actually, Kennedy was escalating in Vietnam. Here's the sources. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I've just been getting a lot of exposure to Bay of Pigs and um, the Cuba connection and just different sources I've consumed. That being the most, his, like I would say, historically legitimate. Right. Woods and I were talking about Chomsky's got some, is problematic in some areas. But on JFK stuff, it, it, he makes some really good points. Right. Um, but uh, it's it's fascinating to think about, like, okay, well, like you mentioned Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. right, with how, like, it's involved elsewhere in our territory. They've, they've been very active in Puerto Rico lately following the hurricanes. Oh, yeah. There's been lots of, uh, you know, uh, photography missions and that sort of thing and rebuilding efforts and disaster relief going on down there. Puerto Rico's been a very active wing yeah. as of late, which, you know, just geographically, I mean, they're, you know, obviously in the path. Well, in some of these things I'm asking about, maybe more like uh, what you were saying with your collaboration with the Game and Fish, it may be more things like, well, the Coast Guard does that. Well, the yeah, yeah. Uh, other agencies. Yeah, right. we are, uh, you know, we're pretty limited on uh, support and participation with law enforcement. I mean, because we are civilians. Um, you know, anything to do with uh, interdictions or down there that would be a Coast Guard or a law enforcement, you know, yeah. area. Yeah, I guess it would. Do, it, uh, it's interesting. I guess like my my number one uh, inquisitiveness with this is in Arkansas it would be different, but on these coastal regions, like we were talking about before the podcast, mm-hmm. briefly just about the Gulf in general, but like cap in those areas on the coastal regions would, right. would uh, you know, like you're saying, they would spot hurricanes and and they're, do things like that. It's very interesting. Yeah, uh, you know, one of the biggest operations cap ever undertook down there was uh disaster relief after katrina came through Ooh, wow you know um then just flying you know photography missions and uh, and doing all that sort of thing just contributing and being part of the effort to uh rebuilding and getting everybody back on their feet in a major disaster like that does cap pull from other states for combined efforts, uh, we have absolutely uh, that's, the that's uh, yeah the uh, the effort last year for the uh, the hundred year flood uh, pulled a couple of air crews from Louisiana wing up into Arkansas. So uh, yeah. yeah, we all tend to help each other, you know, if need be. Um, have there been any other natural disasters come to mind that Cap's been involved with other than Katrina and recent or you know Arkansas flood and recent recent times? There was uh, operations in Texas a couple of years ago. Um, I believe that was a hurricane as well. Yep. Um, Houston got hit real hard, I believe. Yeah. They uh, always do, man. They're underwater all the time. It seemed to be right in the, you know, Houston's low. It's right there on the, the Gulf Coast, and it's kind of in the path. You know, we were talking about Puerto Rico and Florida and all that. You know, I mean, uh, we're kind of in Tornado Alley here, mm-hmm. you know, and they're they're in the path of the hurricanes there. So, yeah. Um, we flew, uh, you know, the, uh, the Bologna Tornadoes. A few years ago, Ooh, I remember that, and yeah. uh, photographed the the track of that. Well, I remember driving through there afterwards. I used to go train at a gym uh, in Cabot. Mm-hmm. And some and some, one of my instructors was up there, and I before they completed that uh, section, uh, I would go through Bologna sometimes. They completed that section. I think it's sixty four highway. Yeah, I believe it is. Um, but I would take a different way. I go through Bologna to get to Cabot. Um, and then they moved to Cersei Sauce, and then they completed that highway. But when I, go, I remember going through Bologna. I think I went. Th- I think this was after the highway was completed. I went through just to see that tornado damage. I was, is it put down around 
Lake Maumelle and then went through Mayflower and then all the oh, way up through wow. Bologna. And that I was remember a Mayflower. Huge tornado track. Uh, but, you know, and, and Civil Air Patrol photographed that whole track for damage assessment purposes um, and, uh, you know, provided imagery that, uh, you know, the most one of the most rewarding things about this for me is, you know, being able to truly help out people in need like that when they need that help. Yeah, uh, during dis- times of disaster. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And just being able to, to play a little part in that. Well, these are things that you don't think about. I think you just think that there's some agency out there that, and oh, it, well, that's the, you know, the this arm of the military or something. And what it actually is, is, you know, in reality, that's a collaboration of multiple agencies. Like you'd have the Arkansas Division of Emergency Management, FEMA, us, you know, Air National Guard. Uh, local law enforcement just sort of all coming together and uh, pitching in to uh, recover from those things. Well, I tell you, um, on tornadoes, like driving to Branson through the mountains, either because mm-hmm. uh, we go through Clarksville sometimes, that's where I'm from, right. go up through Ponca, Boxley Valley, or sure. up here on Seven, but uh, both directions I've gone through that area where there's been a tornado come through. Right. And it's like it's woods on both sides of the road and you just are like it it looks like, like it's a, a special kind of decimation that's happened. Uh I bet that would be interesting to see from the air too. It it gives you a different perspective, especially with uh flooding. I mean you just get a uh you see so much more of the scope, I guess would be the the best way to put that. I mean mm-hmm. like yeah, you know, the Valonia tornado we were talking about, I mean obviously on the ground. You know, it was very apparent, you know, large areas are no longer there, but you get up high and you get some altitude and it just gives you a, a better scale, if you will, of the uh, the disaster as a whole. What would you say your visibility is up there? If you're, let's say you're up over Lake Maumelle, how, how, how far towards Valonia are you able to kind of... Depends on conditions, you know, haze and that sort of thing. I know, uh, you know, like if you take off from, uh, you know, the Conway Airport, uh, and you get up at altitude, I mean, if you're over the Conway Airport, you can see Perryville and Harris Break Lake and, and all that sort of thing, which is several miles away. That's uh, one of the uh, the big advantages of moving around up there is you're not hampered by roads and you're moving faster. So you're moving in a straight line at yeah, a greater yeah. rate of speed. And it gives you pretty big advantage over being on the ground. You know, ideally, you know, we were talking about ELT searches and that sort of thing. Um, Often those are done uh, as a, uh, a team effort between air crews and ground teams. Mm-hmm. So you'll have air crews in the airplane who have, uh, you know, equipment that will hear that ELT and can track it. And then you have ground teams and vans on the ground who also have that equipment. But, you know, the air crew ideally is directing the ground team toward the target. And then when it's actually found, the ground team will go in there and uh, deactivate the ELT. Mm-hmm. I mean, ELTs can go off through, uh, you know, crashed airplane or emergencies like that. They also go off far more often due to just, like, technological malfunction. You know, if the battery gets old or if, uh, you know, something goes haywire with it, the thing goes off, and you don't know if it's a downed airplane or, uh, you know, you don't know if it's a, a distress or a non-distress. Mm-hmm. ELT is the terminology used until you go out there and find it. Yeah. Have there... You're talking about incidents uh, during World War II. Have there been any uh, incidents with uh, people flying for CAP in Arkansas since you've been involved, like with uh, planes? There, there have been two air crews lost 
I know it wasn't recent. It was uh, it's been a few decades ago. But uh, there are two air crews I'm aware of that were that were killed in accidents. Yeah. Wow. Was uh, just the plane malfunctioning? Bad weather? I believe one was a collision. Uh, that was, was actually faulted. Yeah, it was the fault of uh, the tower, not you know. We were talking telling about people breaking who were, bad right before this. There, that you think that could never happen, but it has happened. Two well, planes it, hitting in the air. You know, the responsibility of a tower and ground control of having multiple people in the same airspace. You know, you need to know who else is out there. Um, and we, you know. There was an incident several years ago where uh, a Civil Air Patrol air crew out of Texarkana found uh, a Forest Service pilot who was down uh, in southwest Arkansas, and there was search for days uh, with all the different state agencies, state police was out there, you know. Um, and finally, one of our air crews located him several days after the fact. And he survived? No. Okay. No, they located the, the remains of the aircraft and and him, yeah. Yeah. So. Wild. Um, yeah, that's... That's something else. Um, this is a couple of screenshots I took here that I was going to ask you about. So it was Truman that sort of shifted, uh, like what you were saying when it was incorporated as a nonprofit. That right. was sort of the changing yeah. after World War II. I believe in 46, I think. Uh, public Law 79476 by U.S. Congress. Uh, it doesn't have a year. But that's, what, that's what the law is. Um and it's it's you you know it's a unique animal in that it is a corporate nonprofit that is also a military auxiliary, you know it functions both ways essentially. Yeah. That's uh, kind of a unique uh, arrangement there. Um, and, and you mentioned a little bit about this earlier, but what about the? Uh, I've, I've read in a few articles they're talking about the civilian pilot training program. Is that just kind of the the avenue that you go through to get your license, or is that, or is CAP using it, recruiting it that? Uh, well, you can. Uh, I mean, a lot of people come into CAP, and you know, you can r utilize CAP airplanes for flight training uh, far cheaper than you can uh, go rent and mm -hmm. you know pay an instructor and all that sort of thing. So, you know, there is flight training done with uh, with Civil Air Patrol airplanes within the program that's uh, members take advantage of that's a far cheaper route, and cadets as well. And a lot of cadets get their, their private pilot licenses as teenagers. I was thinking about that. I mean, that's... Sure. Imagine graduating high school, you're 18, you have a pilot's license, you're going to fly to college instead of drive. <laughs> yeah, yeah like I, know, I know numerous people who got a pilot's license before they had a driver's license. Wow. You know, um, and it's, you know, flying an airplane is, uh, it's kind of akin to driving a car in certain ways. Generally, it's a learned skill, I guess, is the uh, the best way I can put that. Uh, you know, generally, if you can drive a car well, you can you can be taught the rudimentary skills and learn to fly an airplane. What's uh, for you um, or for other people, you know, that have been involved, what are some of the harder aspects of flying? Well, for me, it was just uh, adapting to the environment. I mean, I, you know, I, I've never flown commercially ever. You said that on the last Yeah, time. that's, that's, you know, I'm kind of a rare breed and I, I'm really not sure why that is, but I just haven't, you know, yeah. the, the occasion is, but, uh, I mean, all my flight has been in, you know, civil aviation and, uh, it's a, it's a different sensation. You feel the physics of flight much more in a smaller airplane than you do in For a big, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, an airliner's you know pretty smooth. 
compared to uh, getting up there in a, in a light aircraft. Mm-hmm. And it's just acclimating yourself. And if you're prone to, uh, like I said, motion sickness, car sickness, you know, well, sea sickness. I, I haven't been, but you know what you were saying with uh, being in the it being the back seat of a car, right? It's one of the only times I've it's ever. Different. And, and you know, like back seat on the pig trail. Same way in a small airplane. Yeah, yeah. You uh, you feel it more in the back. Yeah, that's wild. Than you do up front. Like I said, I've. I've prided myself on never having to deploy my emergency bag, but <laughs> but it's it's in one pocket of my flight suit just in case. <laughs> yeah. Have you been up when other people have gotten uh, air sick? I have not, fortunately. Uh, be one of those things. Like I, I've never had this, but I've been like on a bus with somebody that got sick, and then next year, you know, two or three other people were throwing up because that person threw up. Just from yeah, yeah. Oh. I would not want to be in the cabin in an airplane with that going on just from yeah 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 that's this is such a an interesting topic because even when you like I said it when you first started telling me about it i had really no clue i had to kind of go look it up and then it's like one of those things when you hear when you hear a word that you never heard before and then you hear it all the time i started like they they were talking about Cap in the Oliver Stone JFK movie. You notice it more. Yeah, and right. I was like, I know what you guys are talking yeah, about. I suddenly like, know what that means. Yeah. yeah, but you know, and I'd seen. I, I mean, it's like it's literally like one of those things with the new word. I had watched. We were going to do this JFK podcast. I was telling you about a right. long time ago. Right. And my buddy Thurman, he's got his master's degree. Um, he had his daughter. They had a daughter, uh, and like we had it scheduled. And I was like, "Hey, you sure you you know you're kind of close to the birthday? You sure you want to do this?" And he's like, "Oh, it'll be fine. I'm a, real excited about it." And then we had then she had the baby, so right, we had to put right. it off. But then so and that was a year ago. Like he had just come on the podcast. I saw the thing a year ago for the first time, and um, then you know I, I I talked to you about Cap, and then I I'm watching that Oliver Stone again, prepping for this uh, or for that podcast, right? And then. They're talking about Cap, and then I, when I was uh, listening to the Garrison book on the Trail of Assassins, have you ever read that? I have not. But it's um, Jim Garrison, the prosecutor of the JFK case. He t- he he had to do some research into Cap for his prosecution, uh, which uh, is a very interesting. That's a, it's an interesting story. That guy's uh, an interesting. The whole thing is interesting. Not like I'm like that. He has it all figured out. I got. I have my problems with with what he, <laughs> what he did. But you know, it's still fascinating. He raises a, gr- a lot of great points, but messed up a lot of times too. So right. It's uh, and if you haven't listened to it or read it, uh, it would be a worthy, uh, worth your time. I think if you're interested in U.S. two era JFK civil or a cold war vietnam sure it, right it's it's in that wheelhouse right but yeah. Yeah. yeah um what so what what are some uh when did you first hear about cap again like when did you first start wanting to get involved uh 2014 i had a good friend who uh became the arkansas wing commander and i just uh you know i asked him i said hey you know what is this and how does it work and uh he directed me to uh the 42nd composite squadron in little rock mm-hmm. and i went down there attended a few meetings decided uh you know i wanted to be a part of it put in the paperwork and the background check and all that sort of thing and uh the, the paperwork went through in january 2015 um i started the squadron as uh an assistant personnel officer and admin officer and then uh, a couple of years later became a deputy commander for seniors 
So you have uh, you know, Composite Squadron, you have the Senior Program, which is the over 21. You have the Cadet Program, 18 to 21, or 12 to 21. So I was uh, Deputy Commander of Seniors for a couple of years and uh, stepped down from that when, you know, had a brain tumor there and kind of had to take a little bit of a break. And then uh, since last October, I've been uh, Director of Personnel for the Arkansas Wing. So let's say be, your friend, like the wing, uh, you say he's wing commander. He was, yeah. What's higher? What's above that? And so in the hierarchy, I mean the the basic, you know, levels. You have flights and squadrons um, within the wing. Some wings are large enough that they have groups as an intermediary command uh, level that have a few squadrons underneath them that report to the wing. Arkansas is, you know, I'm, I'm talking like Florida, California, Texas, bigger wings. Arkansas does not have the group structure, so our squadrons report directly to the wing. Uh, the wing reports to the region command, so Arkansas is within Southwest region, which comprises Arkansas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Texas, Arizona, New Mexico. Wow. And then there are eight regions within the U.S. that report to National Headquarters, which is at uh, Maxwell Air Force Base in Alabama. You are a geography guy, though. Yeah. Like, that's like, you got these. Does it show? You got these places <laughs> down. I was like, earlier, my mom was bummed. I was like, well, okay, he's got the huge geography. Yeah, my brain sees maps, you know. <laughs> so do you think that had a little bit to do with you? Like, once you got up there, you're like, we got a grid down here. Like, I Yeah, mean, it's, you know, being a map nerd. Um doing the ground team operations and the air crew operations is fun from that aspect you know because i you know i've always been pretty good at navigation and understanding how that works and getting up there and seeing it and knowing where you are and how you're oriented uh with the map and the terrain is uh yeah for a nerd like me it's appealing what you ever uh have any background or experience uh Aside from, I'm sure, with some of your classes with, like, GIS, like, or map making? Or? I've played around with GIS a little bit, yeah. I've yeah. made a few maps in GIS, and it's uh, still kind of an emerging technology to a certain extent, you know. And it's, mm -hmm. But it's very, I mean, it's it's a field that's going to become more important over time, I believe. Uh, yeah, and, too, I will tell you, I would like to be able to make my own maps right. for, for being a historian. And... Buy, buy ArcGIS and download it. And it's, yeah. uh, you know, get yourself a tutorial book. And it's. Uh, Eventually, I will do. I will definitely do it. For what, the direction I'm wanting to go with, like, some history podcasts I want to do. And, like, there's this one map I have of Napoleon's Egypt campaign. Mm -hmm. But it's got everything on the map. It's got the whole thing. It's like, it, it's so hard to break down everything that's going on on this particular map i think it actually might even be in this book right here right but um i'm like okay i need i need four versions of this map like <laughs> the map's covering the two-year time period it's covering the syrian campaign and, and gis allows you to do that with overlays yeah. yeah uh you know you can customize that and add or take away whatever you want in those different layers it's all gis is based around layers you know like you build Photoshop almost. yeah you build those layers and then you put them together so you've got yeah. your base layer with your terrain or whatever, and then you've got a layer with roads and rivers and that sort of thing, and then you've got a layer with uh, points of interest or cities and whatever you want to have on there, and then you combine those and create your map. I heard, uh, and this could, I don't remember where this information came from, but somebody was telling me that um, they were hanging Swain up on uh, making maps and saying that, that he needed to do other things other than make maps, and I'm like... What do you want the guy to do? Like he's a he's a map guy. He's like, a geographer. In terms of like that versus 
uh, scholarly publications of articles, but several of the maps I've got from uh, Dr. Black mm. for Arkansas history were made by Swain. Right. Several. So the, even some of the maps in the new Arkansas textbook. It's like, uh, you know, we're doing ground team missions with CAP. I always take my, uh, I have one of those gazetteers. What's, it, what's that? The Arkansas gazetteer that's the big atlas. There's, I think Delorme puts one out for every state, but it's a very detailed map okay. down. To, it's yeah, got yeah. all the county roads and everything labeled, you wow. know, and and kind how of, we used to get places before iPhones. Before, yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm kind of a an old fashioned, you know, give me a paper map. I mean, yeah, you know, phone maps have their uses, but uh, you also need to know how to navigate through mm-hmm. other means. You know, if they throw you out in the woods with a compass and a map, and you know how to get out of there. <laughs> So, yeah, no, and how to shoot azimuths and and do all that sort of thing and mark right. a point. Yeah. Ranging is such an interesting concept to me. Uh, are you familiar with David Goggins? I'm not. He's a he's a Navy SEAL and went through buds three times before becoming a SEAL. He like injured as uh, persistent, but then he went through Delta Force and Ranger training. Impressive, but with. Uh, Ranger training and Delta Force. He, I, don't, I think it was Delta Force that he didn't make at all because he kept messing up the ranging part, like of of being able to map his way in and out of somewhere over twenty five miles of distance right. or a certain amount of time. Right, um, and he would he would always come up off you know, a little bit to the west of where he needed to be. And, the, you know, there's a, and then he has to climb this big ridge and come back down. So, But that's, I mean, like what you're saying, that's an elite skill. Did you ever Eagle Scout or anything like that? I was a Cub Scout when I was a kid. But, uh, did you gain an interest in some of this stuff at that time? Like, how did you get I interested? I think that interest was independent of that, honestly. Right. Um, but, I mean, the, the map reading and navigating is still, you know, if you do ground team work with Civil Air Patrol, um, that's an integral part of what you're taught mm-hmm. uh training as a ground team member is uh doing map navigation the old-fashioned way i mean yeah everybody today kind of cheats and does it with their phone there's nothing wrong with that but there are instances where you need to know how to do it the old-fashioned way in case you find yourself in that situation yeah um then you know like, like i said for me for a map nerd it's it's interesting getting out there i love getting out there and navigating around knowing where i am and where i'm going to come out you know point a to point b you um, and you do a little bit of that just like on the ground in your free time. You like going hiking. You like doing I do stuff hike like quite that, a camping. Bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, grew up camping and uh, I hike state parks quite a bit. Um, you know, like uh, you will do uh, with Civil Air Patrol. We'll do staged or exercises. You know, in the national forest, where uh, a dummy ELT will be put out there, and you got to go track it down with a map and and do all that sort of thing and sort of refresh those skills um, yeah yeah so so okay so like that that's a good concept so like what, what sort of continuing education do you do so civil air patrol uh actually just revamped um what was formerly called the professional development program is now called the education and training program um so we used military style ranks grades as they refer to them um and those grades um you advance in grade based upon the level of professional development you have completed coupled with time and grade, like the military. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you work your way through five levels of uh, education and training, formerly professional development. And each one has, you know, different uh, requirements like, uh, you know, until recently it was Region Staff College and the National Staff College. And, 
you just work your way through several years through this program, um, attend conferences, that sort of thing. Um, where the military has uh, MOSs, like in the Army, you know, your military occupational specialty is your job, determines what you do. Civil Air Patrol functions that way in that it has duty assignments and specialty tracks. Um, so, you know, within the your unit, you hold a duty position, a duty assignment, and that duty assignment has an accompanying specialty track. Like if you're a personnel officer, you know, you hold that uh, that position and then you advance through that track. And there are three levels of each one of those tracks where you, uh, you know, build your skills and uh, and develop and uh, and that sort of thing. And you just uh, you work your way up over time. Yeah. So it's kind of a kind of ongoing, continuing education. Yeah, that's and too, that's uh, you know, and just being involved in doing going up. I mean, right. is there a certain t- number of times per year that you are required to go up uh, or anything like that like a minimal no standard. there is no uh <clears throat> you know it's it's not like the military where if you don't uh make a rank within a certain amount of time you're you know you get bounced uh cap doesn't work that way simply because it's a it's volunteer nature and uh you know and the civilian nature of it uh, but honestly that's one of the things that appeals to me most is the structure mm-hmm. you know i the way my mind works i kind of like that uh that structured advancement and the fact that you advance and you get out of it what you put into it you advance based upon your initiative and your effort and uh, and that sort of thing and that's that's appealing to me personally do you see um getting involved with civil air patrol military types military people retired military like or does that step typically they that's their path and we have we have both. I mean, you have uh, you know people who have never served or weren't able to serve, like me. Uh, that CAP kind of scratches that itch for them. But we also have a lot of people who are, you know, either active duty or guard and reserve or retired, mm-hmm. who uh, sort of volunteer with uh, with CAP um, on the side and do that in addition to uh, their military stuff. And you know, you get a lot of. Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, a lot of former military pilots, retired pilots, who are a tremendous asset. Yeah, that's what I had. Uh, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, you get those those people coming in. Uh, NCO, uh, CAP has developed an NCO program that uh, originally was uh, catered to uh, former military NCOs, uh, non-commissioned officers, to uh, basically bring in that uh, wealth of experience, knowledge, and ability, and uh, add that as an asset to the program as well. So, yeah. Here's kind of a weird uh, couple of your questions. Um, talked about the cadet program a little bit. Right. Talked about some, some people have been involved. Like, what? Uh, are there a lot of women that get involved? Okay. Oh, sure. Yeah. Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It's uh, it's very, very accommodating in that uh, in that aspect. Has it al- has it always been that way? Is the next? Well, I suspect. I mean, yeah, there's been women going back. Uh, yeah, even World War Two, there were female members. That's awesome. Um, and it's. That has increased over time as society has changed, but women have always been an integral part of uh, of the program. And, you know, that just sort of the female involvement in everything else and those doors opening, you know, CAP was kind of a uh, a groundbreaker back there. And having, uh, you know, you had like the women's auxiliary, what was it, the, there was the wax and the waves, mm-hmm. you know, the, the naval auxiliaries and the, the Air Force auxiliaries. And, and CAP always uh, integrated female members, and it's uh, just grown since then. Yeah, you know, and improved since then. So, what about uh, this would just be 
my 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 historical mind uh, chiming in, which I'm sure you can empathize with. But uh, what about uh, you're saying as society changes, more and more women are being involved, particularly after World War II. It's yeah. like I mean, you see, like well, after World Wars, women get more involved in a lot of things. You know, well. what about um, what about African Americans as a demographic? Like, uh, was that can do you see that come in more post civil rights seventies, uh, eighties, or historically? I really can't vouch. Uh, for that I mean I know now I mean you have people from all walks of life uh, there's a, a heavy emphasis now on diversity within CAP and uh, you know the, in the six years that I've been in I mean it's a very it's a very diverse group of individuals that's awesome I mean uh, you know you, you have people from all paths who come together who want to volunteer their time and their uh, and their efforts uh, to do something worthwhile and uh, CAP offers, you know, an avenue for that. You know, that's one thing I like about teaching at our college is versus I see this as a perk or uh, added something I, I appreciate that I don't think that I would see as much of it take. You would. But the fact it's like how how diverse the classroom is, mm -hmm. you've especially this semester because half of them are live streaming it. But you you do you have people of many different uh, ethnic and racial backgrounds, sure. maybe from different countries. I've had a couple of uh, international students, right? Um, but not just that, you have a wide variety of people that are parents. Yeah. that they have kids in elementary school, middle school, high school even, that they are sure. retirement age. And that's, and you know, Civil Air Patrol reflects that as well. I mean, you've got cadets from 12 and up ranging up to, I mean, people in their 70s and 80s. What's the 12-year-old do around there? Well, the cadet program is, it's kind of a a self-contained entity. They have their own rank structure. They have their own uh, their own program, set of things they do, um, activities. Um like I said, a typical squadron meeting night for us would be seniors doing one thing on their side and cadets doing the other with cadet program senior members advising, mm -hmm. basically. Um, but it's very inclusive. I mean, uh, you know, it's I've, I've seen it do so much good over the years for so many people in that age group. I mean, we've had two from Little Rock who are now at the Air Force Academy. Oh, wow. Uh, Texarkana had one go to Annapolis to the Naval Academy. And this really sort of gave them a boost and a jump start in that sort of direction. And I've, you know, I've seen it do so much good in other ways for kids who, you know, really needed something like that, needed that, that structure and that, uh, you know, that, uh, activity in their lives. Yeah. Um, it's worthwhile. I, I can personally assure you that having seen it firsthand. Yeah. And there's historically that, that I kind of linked this topic to um, as we were, as we talked about it in the halls and stuff, but right. you know, like Thomas Jefferson um, with him, like he downsized the military right. uh, when he was in office uh, quite a bit. Uh, I think it, uh, from 4,000 standing to 2,500 on, on uh, men. And then I forget how much of a naval cut he did. But then next thing you know, he's in a naval war the the trip with the Tripolitans and the um the Barbary pirates right right but then it it really he relies on more merchant vessels right right so I kind of equate it with that it's sort of the this uh, marine. Yeah, yeah it's it's sort of this other um 
entity that you don't really think about is you don't really th- I guess think about how much cor- how much coordination goes on between different agency and different volunteer organizations right well you know and at the coast guard now post 911 has been uh, put under i believe the department of transportation whereas or the department of homeland security one of those i think it's yeah dot and then they become uh, they fall under naval control during wartime uh, that's a post 911 development mm-hmm. uh, you know you think back about the merchant marine in world war ii who uh, were merchant mariners who uh Wound up in combat. You yeah, know. yeah. I mean, well, that was a, this, a very similar. Just a little bit after Jefferson gets out, uh, I think I mentioned this to you in the hall the other day. It was War eighteen twelve. Yeah, like they the number I, I can't without my notes in front of me remember how many, but it was like hundreds of, of boats. If you had a boat, you were you were helping out. And you know, there is also a, a Coast Guard auxiliary that is sort of the uh, the Coast Guard equivalent of what we do with the Air Force. Um. You know that uh, that supports cool. their their mission as well. Um, the difference, the main difference between us and and like the Merchant Marine, you know, today, if we got into, say, World War Three came down the pipe, you know, uh, the Merchant Marine would function, I believe, basically as they did in World War Two, and become an integral part of convoys and that sort of thing in combat operations. CAP, due to that, uh, you know, the post-war benevolent character, uh, would no longer have that role. We would function in our domestic, you know, uh, three missions and not deploy. Okay, so let's say in a scenario like the film Red Dawn. <laughs> that World War Three is taking place I, in the 1980s. What is Cap going to do? I think in a situation like that, everything goes out the door. <laughs> would have, that would be my assumption. What yeah. was it? Isn't it Cubans that are paratrooping into the, the yeah, high school? Yeah, they, they had that written where it was a weird coalition of uh, Nicaragua. I think it was Nicaragua that oh, was with the, yeah. The, yeah, the Soviets and the Nicaragua and uh, a few other. Yeah, but then Chinese. They, no, China was somehow allied with us. Oh, which okay, okay, yeah. Would yeah. not happen. I remember them, uh, the pilot that, that gets shot down. At, yeah, uh, Powers Booth. Powers Booth, yeah. 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 That's it, man. I really like that film. Oh, when you're when you're a kid in the '80s, it's the best movie ever. <laughs> so I mean, too. I uh, I know we joked around this a time or two since your your middle name is the name of Keanu Reeves' character in Point Break '91. Yeah, I can't believe that they both those movies we're talking about they remade, and I hate both the remakes. Do you? I, I just uh, Point Break. I don't even want to acknowledge it really but i do <laughs> now just, some people think I'm, just, I'm you want to pretend that doesn't exist when it came out though i'd be like i'd be talking about the 91 version and people would be like that new one and i'm like no no we don't talk about that i tried to watch it but the character's trying to act too much like counter from bill and ted yeah and i'm like dude you just just be yourself man don't try and act like keanu reeves playing this role you know what i'm saying it was it was a little awkward i get it and then thor was i think patrick swayze's character in the new red dawn the guy that plays thor uh i didn't know i didn't even know it had been remade actually around the same year i think it was like 2015 it might even been sooner they remade red dawn yeah right right uh you know cap it really is unique in those domestic missions. You were talking about involvement compared to the Merchant Marine, all that sort of thing. It plays a more vital role in uh, domestic operations like that than a lot of people realize. And a lot of people don't know that we're there. Or if they do know we're there, they don't know what we are and what we do. That was with me. Um, 
you know, but there's a lot more going on, and it is kind of a, I don't want to say best-kept secret because we don't try to be a secret. You know, we mm-hmm. obviously try to recruit and, and all that sort of thing, but uh, a lot of people just aren't aware of uh, what's out there and what's going on. Let me, let me ask you this. Um, this uh, popped in my head a couple of times, but uh, let's say, I know it's a nonprofit, right? But yeah. uh, even like a, we have a nonprofit here at the gym and I'm, uh, I'm able to pay some instructors and do some things. Is there any, uh, anything like that? I mean, there's got to be a lot of manpower. Goes there, there are a small handful of paid staffers, mostly at national headquarters at Maxwell Air Force Base. Um, I know in Arkansas we have uh, one, there's one full-time uh, position and one part-time position, mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, there's a there's a small handful at uh, you know in cap, but the vast majority are just volunteers. Yeah, yeah, uh, well, that's what I was thinking. Uh, in- most of the national staff positions, a lot of them, those are volunteer positions as well. Oh. Um, it really is a community of people who Wanna want get to serve. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's well, that's great. I mean. I, I love the concept and idea of of altruism. Like, I just want to help. I don't need anything in return. Maybe my involvement will bring about some good in the world. You know, just like, I don't expect anything back. I'm just trying to help. And, you know, volunteer service. I mean, Civil Air Patrol has the, its uh, core values, which are integrity, volunteer service, excellence, and respect. You know, and volunteer service is, you've got to have the heart of a volunteer, Mm-hmm. Uh, to to put in the effort and like you know and and do that sort of thing and like you know the cliche is you know you you get out of it what you put into it. Well, I like other volunteer organizations. That is the case. You really do get out of it what you put into it. Yeah. Um, and what you make of it. Well, and man, those values you're talking about, life skills, are yeah. so like for the cadets. Sure. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, you're sitting there saying that, and I'm like, yes, yes, for the kids in martial sure. arts class yeah. as well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But uh, that's uh, that's cool. And too, like when you're talking about it, I was equating it to scouts, Eagle Scouts. Like it just. And you know, at that age, I did Cub Scouts as a kid. When I was a teenager, I did ATA Taekwondo, and they both a good sidekick. They both offered. Uh, it's been a while. It's probably I still if, if I didn't, you know, break something in the execution now. But, uh, you know, it provided something for me at that age that is akin to what uh, the cadets in the cadet program get, you know, structure yeah. and goals and those core values. Um, it's a worthwhile endeavor. And like I said, I've seen it do so much good for so many kids mm-hmm. and uh, really jumpstart, you know, the rest of their lives in several cases. Where did you train Taekwondo at? Conway. Conway. Yeah, uh, what's uh, Hollanders? Yep. That, you know, Jeff Woods has his white belt from there. Does he? Yeah, you guys might have gone at the same time. I don't know. Oh, it's I was. It's been uh, his 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 son, who's now a freshman in college, was a little boy. Yeah, so I would have been uh, 12, 13 years ago. I was. Oh, it's been longer than that. I was like 13, 14 years old. Okay. okay. Uh, I wound up as a red belt. Oh, uh, there you go. And I was 14 or 15 when I got out of it. I'm working. Uh, so, like, I've got my judo white belt. I got my Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu bike belt. Um, and I'm working towards, I'm going to start working towards a Taekwondo bike belt. Right. My, my coach in Jiu-Jitsu is a ninth degree in Taekwondo. Wow. He's been doing it since he was a kid. Um, and is one, I mean, one of the highest ranks uh, in this region for sure. But he got inducted also in, in Seoul, Korea. Where, oh, he was around in Thailand at the same time. I can't remember if... 
what happened if he if it got rescheduled to from Thailand to Creed, but he got inducted in Taekwondo Hall of Fame. Gotcha. But uh, I was just texting before our episode. I was like, hey, sidekicks on Christmas break. I, will come, <laughs> I have to come up there. I got to take this brand new Mac to the Mac store because it's, uh, I mean, it's not an exaggeration. It is shut off a hundred times. Yeah, that's uh, counterproductive. I, I mean, it. When the other day when we were doing that JFK Shame podcast. Shame on you, Mac. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, have you seen those Leonardo DiCaprio memes from Django Unchained? I have. <laughs> like, it, there's one, it's like uh, Mac changed the, the ports right. to these, uh, I think they're Thunder bolt or something they're they're this new usb and it's faster it transfers better quality audio and video but they're like you have to so for this i got another one of these coming but it's like hey i'm gonna need uh how am i gonna plug in my blah 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 into this and and it's like it's leonardo dicaprio holding <laughs> that thing it's like macintosh it's like <laughs> yeah so you know sitting here doing the math while you're talking about that the uh it's been a quarter of a century since I was doing ATA Taekwondo at Hollanders. That's uh, wow. Yeah, I thought I'm getting old. <laughs> Shit, isn't it funny how? Um, I mean, you can. Uh, I'm 33. Right. I wear like every time. Every time somebody asks me, like, "Hold oh, you, uh, John Paul, my investments guy the other day, he trains here." He said, "Brian Davis's husband." I was like, "Same age as Jesus and Alexander the Great," mm-hmm. and he was like, "33, right on." Yeah. I was like, "Yeah, you keep using that till you're 34." <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I was like, "I'm just trying to make it to 34." Yeah, but um, it is wild how, like you said, oh, it's been a quarter of a century. Yeah. Oh, I'm one third of the way through my life oh you know it's like or that was 20 years ago yeah and you you know you talk about the cadet program i've seen cadets who have gone through the whole thing from 12 to 21 and it's a big chunk of their development in their life yeah at that that's what yeah like literally literally when you're saying that a minute ago i was equating that to they have kids get from martial arts they have the option at 18 uh, to uh, transition over to the senior side, you can stay until you're 21. So, and usually the ones that stay until they're 21. So, I mean, they have their own. We were talking about uh, you know the five levels that senior members can advance through. Um, they have their own set of milestones. You know the cadets advance through, and uh, you know the highest the highest uh, level there. Um, it's called the Spots Award, named after Carl Spots, the Air Force General. Um, which equates with the rank of cadet colonel. Uh, so usually, you know, some of those older cadets stick around to finish out their spots mm-hmm. and uh, and max that out and get all they can out of it before transitioning over and then becoming senior members. Yeah, yeah. you know, and it's it's just it gives them a uh, a series of goals that are attainable and uh, that they work toward and uh, complete all those things. And it's uh, yeah. Yeah, that's well. It, it, yeah, this is something people should know more about. Yeah. If I if any of the podcast does anything, I just I, I'm like, oh, yeah, a just great idea to do this podcast, disseminating like, good information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, uh, it, the world these days needs more of that. You know, those core values, and you know, I think kids need that uh, that structure and sort of a uh, something to help them develop. And you know, when weren't you saying that? Okay, so you're you're. Because your grandpa was in World War II. Yes. Your dad was in Vietnam. Right. And you had flat feet and couldn't enlist. Is yeah. That, that's the story, right? Yeah. So that is, that's fascinating, though. Like, and how long was it after you had kind of gotten through that part of your life that you found Civil Air Patrol? Oh, it was a good, 
decade. It's like one of those things you really wish you would have gotten into it sooner. Yeah, I wish I'd known it was around uh, before I did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, it would have. You know, I wish I had started earlier, and it would have filled that void a bit more for me that was there in my, especially late twenties and early thirties. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I. When you're becoming a realtor and stuff like that. Yeah, as I, I really started having the feet issues. I mean, they were always there, but it, in my early 20s, it really, that's when the tendons gave way. And uh, I got them fixed. It took four surgeries to fix them, and it you know, spread out over two or three years. They messed with your Achilles tendon? Uh, no. Okay. No, the posterior tibial tendon. They did actually didn't mess with any of my soft tissue. Um, they messed with bones. Posterior is outside or inside? Inside. Okay. Yeah. Wrapped so around it's like the that inside, arch, that inside yeah. arch. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I wish I had found this earlier than I had. Yeah. Um, because I spent a lot of time searching for, you know, a worthwhile way to serve my country and my community in the best fashion that I could since the military was not an option for me. Man, I, 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 can, I could empathize with you big time because... If that would have been my family's history and you would have yeah. wanted to get in, that would have been a major bummer. Yeah, it bothered me. Yeah. You know, I mean, to a certain extent, still bothers me. But, uh, you know, this sort of, like I said, scratches that itch. And I think it would have filled that void earlier had I known about it earlier. So, I mean, you know, just trying to help get the word out there a little bit uh, for people. And we have a lot of people in the program who are that way, who, you know, patriotism sky high. Mm-hmm. You know, they've always wanted to serve and for one reason weren't able or one reason or another weren't able to. And uh, they come along and they find a way to give back yeah. uh, by participating in CAP. And there's a lot of us out there. So people listening to this that want to get involved, they have no, it's like me, they have no idea it exists. How, how should they go about doing that? I would go out there and check out uh, GoCivilAirPatrol.com. Okay. Uh, it also links to uh, the individual uh, wing websites. So uh, you can also go to the Arkansas Wing webpage, and it will list uh, all 10 squadrons in the state and find one that's closest to you. Uh, I would uh, contact uh, that local unit, whoever's closest, and uh, and talk to them and uh, take it from there. Go check it out, see if it's something you want to do, and uh, I'm sure they'd be happy to have you. That's cool. Like you said, you attended a few meetings before you decided. We, uh, yeah, there was a, a rule in the 42nd that uh, you had to attend three meetings, and then uh, you go through a, a membership review board uh, where you're basically screened uh, before you can submit uh, the paperwork to join and go through the, uh, the criminal background checks mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. Basically just to ensure that, uh, one, it's what you want to do, and also that you're a good fit with uh, the unit. Yeah, you know, so, um, and it's it's kind of an orientation period, I guess, and then that first level of education training, level one, really focuses on uh, educating the member on how the organization works, the history, and all that sort of thing, and getting them oriented for what they need to know. Mm-hmm. So, I know you mentioned background check. Uh, so, pretty much felons are out obviously and, and, uh, and yeah. probably you know rightfully so but are there any uh, other um things that would disqualify you from you know as far as 
it's very it's a very unique organization in that things such as physical limitations are not a handicap that's what fascinated me you're like well i just do this job instead of five and it yeah and it gives those you know people who have who may have physical challenges or or something that prohibits them from you know doing certain things they're you know you're not barred from participating and Mm -hmm. it's it's a way to get involved essentially uh, it's one of the great aspects of it. It's uh, it's very inclusive in that uh, that sort of. This know. is a sort of a weird um, weird question. So, for example, Arkansas is an open carry state, right? But you cannot possess a concealed carry license and a. Um, or or purchase a firearm while simultaneously having a cannabis um, card from like your doctor, like okay. for med- medical cannabis, right? Right. I wonder if that's something that would pop you on a background check for CAP. I honestly don't know. Because see, there's a there's a, let's say I go to does Walmart still sell guns? Uh, I hadn't been to Walmart in a long time. They, I couldn't tell you. They ha- they have for my whole life. I used to work in sporting goods at the Clark's Walmart. Okay. <laughs> right. But in my, you know, I, a couple of my guns, New England single barrel guns sure. when I was a kid came sure. from, But um, there's a question on the background. I used to have to do it. I used to sell the guns at sporting goods. And it's like, have you, um, there's, oh, oh, okay. It, it, there's a question on there about drugs. It's like, have you ever used any federally... Or are you using any federally illegal drugs? Right. Which, on a on a federal level, national level, marijuana is still uh, illegal. Right. So basically, they pop you for lying on that form. But I wonder if uh, what the background form is. I have to get a background check for uh, the boxing club and stuff. And and I'm trying to. It's been a long time since I've processed a membership application. Several years. Um, there are a series of questions, but I don't, off the top of my head, recall the specific. Yeah, I'm sorry. I wish I had. No, that. that's a, just a, it's an interesting. I wish thing. I had that answer at the tip of my tongue, but I just don't. But you you submit a uh, you know you fill out the application and you answer a few questions and you submit a fingerprint card uh, that's used for background screening. Yeah. Um, so uh, fingerprints. Um, this is a. I was talking to my friend Thurman about this. What blew Garrison's case apart on that JFK thing mm. was one of his key witnesses on the stand. He was like, well, yeah, I fingerprint my daughter before and after she goes to college and comes back because I want to be sure it's still my daughter. Paranoid much? Uh, yeah, he was like, and this guy was like, uh, I guess maybe, it, I can't remember what his story was. He worked for the CIA or something. But like when that came up on the stand, it was just like... <laughs> Like, he's like, I have to make sure that that's also my daughter. I'm real paranoid about, you know, intelligence agencies. and Yeah, that is approaching a, you know, paranoia level of, like, the conversation. With it's a whole, with, a whole <laughs> other uh, level out there. The old Gene sure. Hackman, the conversation. Uh, which, well, okay, well, no, 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 what are you talking about? Back in the, where he's uh, an operative for one of those agencies and, and finds out he's being surveilled and becomes extremely paranoid. That's That seems to be approaching the same level yeah, as what yeah, you... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, anything else we want to throw in on uh, Civil Air Patrol here? I uh, I think we've pretty much covered it. Um, you know, it's a great organization of people doing good things and volunteering their time. And uh, if you're interested in that sort of thing, I really can't recommend it enough. Yeah. So. Last question, actually. So let's say 
meetings, you go to meetings, you decide if you want to join. Do you get to go on any missions or flights or anything? Can once you, can, you're once you're qualified. Okay. Uh, okay so okay. yeah, um, how that works is basically. Uh, emergency services operations take place in addition to whatever your duty assignment is with that unit so say you're an admin or a personnel officer or a cadet programs officer none of that you know there are emergency services officers who specialize in that but holding those other duty positions does not preclude you from participating in emergency services like anyone can be qualified as air crew or ground team in that unit um, you just go through the training and, uh, you know, you get those boxes checked, learn what you're doing, uh, fly to training missions or go on two training missions as a ground team member to get that certification. And then you are eligible to go. Yeah. And it kind of works, uh, kind of like a, I guess the best analogy I could use is like a volunteer fire department. Yeah. When okay. something comes okay. up, you get a call, and if you're able to go, you go, and if you're not, you don't. I was thinking about that earlier. I was wondering about that, like yeah. how, like, oh, well, hey, there's a, we 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 need you now. It's two a.m. Yeah, and if if you you know are able to go, then you go. But if not, then you know it's okay if you're tied up with something else. Yeah. Um, it's it's purely volunteer in the truest sense of the the term. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, man, this has uh, been super informative. I know I had a ton of questions, as I figured I would. <laughs> but I was also like, I wanted, I did do a little reading up because um, it's interesting. Uh, we've talked about it a few times. And um, honestly, I had more questions than I thought I would. So yeah, well, I, I appreciate you I don't know how fielding all of them. My answers were, but, uh, you know. Man, I felt like we, we uh, covered a lot of ground, though, for sure. So anyway, I, I appreciate the invitation. Hey, anytime, man. Uh, I tell people I like having conversations with us every time. If you think of another one you want to do, there's maybe. always there's always a new aspect or something out there to explore. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> new. I mean, but just like with this, I know last time we talked about a little bit about Cap and a bunch of the other stuff, and yeah. started talking Star Wars after the episode right. and <laughs> yeah. before this one. But uh, if you ever have man um, film reviews anything like that i'm starting my blog uh in 2021 and the same sort of stuff that i'm doing on here is going to go on the blog you right. know uh we're doing the lost cause through film right uh we're doing um different hist like historical films you know like what isn't historical about it did it did it man it's fascinating like that chomsky guy how much he dwelled on oliver stone in yeah. his book and how wrong he was i mean it was literally a book about how oliver stone had influenced the collective consciousness with his movie right and kevin costner and all the people in it and he's like this is bad <laughs> like right <laughs> so but i love you know i think that's that's a cool topic to sit down and talk about and, and break down and think about and um, if you ever think of anything, this hit me up. I'd love okay. to love to have you back on. Man. I appreciate that. Yeah, right on. We'll sign off here, guys. Thanks. Thanks.